Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Well, good morning, Sojourn. It is great anytime we can gather together as God's people, as a church family in Northeast Portland. If you're new with us, my name is Matt Boyd. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are glad that you've chosen to join us online this morning. This is the first Sunday in May, which is hard to believe. That means we're on the heels of graduation season and Mother's Day and wedding season, and summer is coming up. And we are planning some events for this summer. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to actually have these events, whereas last summer everything was canceled. A few things I just want to mention. We have three short-term mission teams that will come and encourage us and labor alongside of us and try to in a sense, pump fuel into our efforts that we're already doing here in the city. Uh, we're also going to have five interns. These are either college students or recent college graduates, all coming from uh, the great state of Texas to uh, really do what we're calling a Portland immersion experience and learning what it looks like to be a missionary in this context that will hopefully equip them for their future, whether they move to a city like Portland or whether they move uh, somewhere else in the country or the world. And a few things I want to mention that you can go ahead and put on your calendar, jot these down, is one, our gospel community at the end of this month on May 26th will have a cookout uh, similar to what we did back in April, and we'll do that in uh, my back patio. Second, we're having a night of worship. It's been over a year, probably a year and a half since we've had a night of worship. And so a, a night of worship on June 25th, that's a Friday night, probably around seven o'clock. Uh, we'll have a team in town and we'll invite the community to come out as well. And so look forward to that. And then serve the city, uh, June 26th, that next day on a Saturday, about a half day. Uh, we understand if you have to work, but we'll have a mission team in town. And so we're going to do uh, stuff with Alberta Main Street and with Vernon School primarily. And if you are free or if you want to uh, you know, mark your calendar and come out and join us for that, more details will be coming soon. All of that is just a sampling of what we have going on this summer. And everything that you can find except to date, it can be found on our uh, Connect tab of our website. So sojournpdx.org, look for Connect at the top. I think it's the second one. And then find the Events tab of that section. Uh, we're constantly updating that on what's coming up on serve nights and outreach that we're doing. So uh, be sure to look at that on a regular basis just to find out what it is. Because we try to announce everything week in and week out, but it's possible that you will miss something as we're adding things to that calendar. And Lord willing... During this summer, uh, as we have these teams and we have these interns, he'll continue, God will continue to build his church as we see Sojourn rebuilt. And we're thankful that you are part of us and that you're along for the ride, along for that journey uh, to watch God do that for us. All right, this morning, we're going to be picking back up in the book of Matthew. And we're going to be looking at one verse, uh, what is probably one of the most universally famous things that Jesus ever said. It's with a commandment. And in this commandment, we find that the Sermon on the Mount that we've been going through since October, it reaches its summit. And so it's been, you know, imagine we've been climbing up the top of Mount Hood and we're finally reaching the summit of Mount Hood. That's what this is. This verse is going to do with the Sermon on the Mount this morning. And some have said of this saying that we're going to look at, that this is the capstone of Jesus' whole sermon that he has been delivering in these three chapters. So here we have perhaps the most famous sermon in all of Scripture, commonly referred to as the golden rule. 
although it is never actually referred to that in as that in scripture. And so you're probably familiar with the golden rule, at least in name, if you don't actually know what the rule is. You might be surprised to learn that the golden rule or some form of it is actually found in a variety of religions. The golden rule itself is not attributed to Jesus. It's actually attributed to the great Rabbi Hillel, who was a teacher of Gamaliel, who was actually the teacher of the Apostle Paul. So Jesus is not even the first one to use this teaching. And so on the front end, there's nothing new about the golden rule. But we do find a difference here. The form that most of these teachers, I'd say, as far as I know, all the other teachers and all the other religious leaders, they taught this rule in a negative form. And it sounds something like this. Do not do to others what you would not like them to do to you. Sounds easy enough. Jesus, however, he comes in, typical Jesus fashion, and he presents this rule in a positive form. And there's a difference in how one frames the rule where if it's negative or if it's positive. This is in line with the entire Sermon on the Mount. Jesus expects his followers to be active disciples who are following his ways and doing good to others in this life. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get um, into the text this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Let me pray. God, we come to you this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we can gather again as your church. Some of us, that's online because of the pandemic. Some of that's in person at the Oregon Stamp Society. God, either way, we ask that this morning that we would just stop for a moment, that we would pause, slow down, center our hearts and our minds on you. And God, that your Holy Spirit will be present with us wherever we are, if it's together in the stamp building or if it's at our kitchen table, and that you would speak to us. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, Matthew 7, verse 12. It says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, other translations use the word therefore instead of the word so. And anytime we see the word therefore, we must ask ourselves, what is the word therefore, therefore? In other words, what came before this set of verses that they use the word therefore? Now, some commentators and scholars believe that the therefore points back to the previous verses that we looked at last week, verses 7 through 11. and implies that since God is good, we too should be good to all people. Or others believe this linked back to the first part of chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. It may argue that we are not the judge because we are not the judge. And both those seem like they could be right. And, but some argue, and I believe this is most likely, and this is where, where I've landed in my studies this week, that Jesus is summarizing an entire section of the Sermon on the Mount. What he's actually doing is he's linking verse 12 from chapter 7 all the way back to verse 17 from chapter 5. Let me read that for us. It says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The law here refers to the first five books of the Old Testament, sometimes commonly referred to as the Torah, while the prophets includes the rest of the Old Testament. Now Jesus comes in, and we looked at this when we went through chapter 5, if you're with us. Jesus comes in with the gospel of the kingdom, and he does not replace the Old Testament. Some people think, well, Jesus replaced it. He didn't replace the Old Testament. What Jesus did is Jesus came in, and he actually fulfills the Old Testament, and he fulfills it with his life and his ministry, and he coupled it with his interpretation. And what he does, he completes and clarifies God's intent and meaning of the entire Old Testament. Now, if anyone could, could complete and clarify the intent of God for the Old Testament, who could do it? Jesus. And that's what, exactly what Jesus does. And so now, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is coming in, what he's trying to do, he's trying to use a, um, excuse me, a memorial, 
memorable, sorry, memorable, if I get my words this morning, and concise way for us to remember what he has gone over in the sermon. He's trying to give us a way to remember what he has taught us and how now as his followers. And so now that he's starting to bring the sermon to a close, he wants to instruct us and say, here, remember what I've given you. And now go and live in this way as you practice the ways of Jesus, of myself. So let me just give you kind of a a recap here. Jesus doesn't just instruct us not to murder. He instructs us to hold our brothers and sisters in high esteem. Jesus doesn't just instruct us not to commit adultery, but says if you want to go beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees to view others as image bearers of the divine and refuse to view them as objects of your own lust. Jesus doesn't just instruct us not to get divorced without due process, but to esteem and value your marriage as sacred. Jesus doesn't just instruct us to keep our oaths and our vows, but display truth in the big and small things so that our word can be trusted. Jesus isn't just instructing us to restrain from vengeance to an acceptable level of our society. It is to go the extra mile, even for your enemy. Jesus isn't just instructing you to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. He says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus isn't just instructing us to be generous when you get a a claim on your taxes. He said, do it as a way to, to claim the fame and power in light of the rewards of eternity. Jesus doesn't just instruct us to pray. He instructs us to pray to our Father who is in heaven and to do it in secret, not as a power play or for public piety. And it's the same way with fasting. And he says, do not become pharisaical of others in all of these things. And then finally, he says, be confident when going to God because he is a good dad and he will hear your request and he will give you his best. So there we have Sojourn. Six, well, about six months of sermons summarizing the 10 bullet points. So we can pray, close our Bibles, and go home. Okay, that last part's a joke, so please don't turn off the screen yet. Jesus is summarizing the entire Sermon on the Mount and says to his disciples, he says to us, do you want to know what it looks like to fulfill the law and the prophets? Do you want to know what it looks like to live beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees in accordance with the word of God? He says, then go and live this way. I've given you all these instructions, now go and live it out. You know, this is, this is where things get really practical. You know, I don't want the, the Christian or the Christ follower who can give me all the facts and all the knowledge. I don't want to get someone who can just give me the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of scripture. But it's, let's see, how can you actually live this out? So Jesus said, here, I've given it to you. I've given you the tools. I've given you the handles. Now go and live this way. And this verse is saying, the way that you wish to be treated by others should determine the way that you actually treat others. And that this should come naturally for believers, not for the non-believers, but for believers, for those who follow Jesus, this should come naturally through the supernatural love of God in our lives. And and it says that believers, that we should love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our mind, and we should love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we cannot fail as the people of God to live, to observe the golden rule. Now, the golden rule, this one verse, it points back to Matthew 5, 17, but it also points forward to Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. You don't need to turn there, but listen. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And as a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So a few observations. 
on how it is that we are to apply the golden rule to our lives, adapted from a friend of mine, Ross Lester. The first thing is the golden rule is at the center of God's way to live. But what do most people think of when they, when they hear Christianity? What do most people, if you were to go take a poll, think is at the center of Christianity and Christian living? Most people say going to church, which is actually bad ecclesiology because we get to be the church. It's not that we go to church. We are the church. Tithing, which we should be generous. But this is what people think of. Reading the Bible, also a good thing. Praying, all of those things are good. And I would even argue that as a Christ follower, you should be doing all of those things. You should be attending gatherings like we're doing this morning. You should be being generous with your, with your income and with your life and with your gifts and talents that God has given you. You should be reading the Bible and reflecting. You should be praying to God. But what is at the center of Christianity? That is the, the key question here. How you treat other people. We need more of this in 2021 than perhaps ever in my lifetime. How it is that you're treating other people. And the passage we just read says, love God and love others. And so if you want to have a really simple way to tell people what Christianity is all about, that's it right there. What, what does it mean to be a Christian? That we love God and we love others. Now, of course, you can expand on that. You can do entire studies on that. But just a real simple, it means to love God and love others. And Jesus is telling us that all of the Old Testament, the entire law, the entire system depends on those two principles of loving God and loving others. So, or therefore, see what I did there? What does God expect and require of his followers? God expects and requires us to love God and to love others. In essence, if you are loving God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, then you are applying and living out the golden rule. Now, it sounds really, really simple, but it's not necessarily as we practically try to live this out. Because for some reason, we love to complicate things of the church, don't we? don't we? Don't we like to add all types of things and almost raise the bar higher than what it actually needs to be raised, at least to enter into the kingdom of heaven? We use all types of things to measure one's spiritual health. Here's, here's how it commonly how, how, how someone would measure your health. Maybe you're in an accountability group or maybe you're in a table and they'd say, you know, how often are you attending church gatherings? Which again, that is important. As a pastor, I almost always have to attend. So please attend as often as you can. It just makes me feel better. Um, the other question is, how much money do you give? Also important. How much time do you spend reading the Bible and praying? Once again, important. But how often do we ask someone this? How are you doing with loving the Lord? with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? I don't know about you, but I rarely am asked that question. I've been asked the other three plenty of times, but I'm rarely asked that question. And then the second is, how often are you asked this? How are you doing at loving others as yourself? And I would even add, especially those who aren't like you and who you don't like. How are you doing at that? Once again, I don't know about you, but I've rarely been asked that question. And we have made Christianity so individualistic in the West but the way that we love God should be and is an accurate reflection of how we love others. But often it is not. Often it is not. Here's what I mean by that. We have made it acceptable to claim to love God while being a horrible boss. We've made it acceptable to claim to love God while being a terrible spouse. We've made it acceptable to claim to love God while being an abusive parent. We've made it acceptable to claim to love God while constantly being rude to others who provide services to you. We've been made acceptable to claim to love God while being a gossip of a friend. And we've made acceptable to claim to love God in our U.S. history while at the same time owning other people as our own. 
I mean, come on. We made all these things acceptable. Why? Because we said, well, how often are you attending church? How much money are you giving? Are you praying and reading the word? Once again, those things are important. And so but we've made that the standard where if you're doing those things, I know plenty of people in the past who've done those things, and then you just find out that they're not even following Jesus, that it's all a show, that, 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 they, that they can come in and they can say the right things and attend all the gatherings. I don't care how many gatherings you attend. I mean, I do care as I like you to be here, but as, as far as the measure of your spiritual health, I don't care how many gatherings you attend. I don't care how much money you give. I don't care how much you read the Bible and how much you pray. If you don't love God and you don't love others, then in, what this is kind of saying is it's not doing a whole lot. And that we've made all these excuses. And what has happened as a result? The church has gotten really, really good at explaining away all of these things. We've gotten really, really good at making excuses for why someone can claim to love God and, and be a Christian, but be a horrible boss or be a horrible, terrible spouse or be an abusive parent or to own other people. Church has gotten really good at explaining all of these things away. But to love God means to love the people that he made, the people that you're in relationship with if you're a spouse or if you're a boss. Even people who are different from us. Even people who who believe very differently from us and act very differently. That's the first thing. The second thing, the golden rule changes everything in relationships. Changes everything in relationships. Look back to the first part of verse 12. It says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Now, I've already mentioned in the first part that Jesus was not the first teacher to say this, this golden rule. And that might mess with some of you. But Jesus was known for taking principles that were widely used in culture and infusing them with meaning. He would usually flip them on their head and give them a true meaning, a holistic meaning. And, and it may not sound like a big difference, but the negative form and the positive form, although when you read them, they sound very similar, they're actually quite different. And so I heard one pastor negative version this way. The negative version essentially says, don't be a jerk. Okay, that's a really good starting point. But that doesn't actually do anything. It doesn't really accomplish a whole lot. And so I want us to look at the positive form of the golden rule and how it differs from the negative form. And I want us to see how much more Jesus was actually demanding than any other teacher who, who had demanded previously of the golden rule. Now, the more normative, negative form of the rule, we basically must refrain from doing to others things that we would wish them not to do to us, which is simply common sense. And so the negative form of the rule involves nothing more than not doing certain things. It means refraining from certain actions. Now, I think it's actually relatively easy. Refrain from hurting other people. Now, hopefully none of you struggle with that. That could be a struggle of yours, but hopefully not. We'll get you some counseling. But refrain from hurting other people. Now, it's not always as easy for my three boys to obey with one another, but for most of them, I think it's pretty easy. Like, okay, don't go and hurt others. But one can obey the negative form by simply inactivity. And as long as you consistently do nothing, the rule would... Now, when the rule is presented as Jesus presents it, Jesus comes in, he puts it positively, and we are told that we must actively... So one is more of a passive do nothing, and Jesus' a positive form is you must actively do something and do to others as you would have them do to you, which causes us to have a whole new attitude towards other people. Let me give you an example. It's one thing to say, I must not harm other people. I must not do to them what I would object them doing to me. So if you don't want other people to hit you, then you don't hit them. This is why we have certain laws in our country, and generally this compels us to respond appropriately. Okay, I'm, I know I don't want someone to do that to me, so I'm not going to do it to them. But it's quite another thing to say, I'm going to go out of my way to help people. I'm going to go out of my way to be kind to them in a way that 
I would like to, other people to help me and be kind to me. And that this is something that only love can compel us to do. And here's the key too. You're not doing that so that they will reciprocate that to you. This is what actually happens often if you actually are living at the positive form that Jesus is presenting with us here. A lot of times it doesn't, if it's not reciprocated, then you kind of get upset. But it doesn't say that you're to do it because then they might do it, that actually do it back to you. You're just going to live this way out yourself actively as if you would want someone to do back to you, even if that person doesn't reciprocate that to you. And hopefully you're seeing the difference. The attitude which says, I must do no harm to people is quite different than the attitude that says, I must do my best to help people. Now here's an analogy to hopefully drive this point home. The law compels us to drive in such a way that we do not harm other people on the highway. In other words, why do they keep lowering our speed limits in Portland? Because people continue to die on their bicycles and pedestrians continue to get hit by cars and our city is continuing to grow in spite of what's happening in the last year. And so the law compels us not to hurt other people by obeying the laws on the highway. But there's no such law that would compel us to stop and help someone on the side of the road who's broken down or in need of a ride. Okay, so imagine you're going down the highway and you see the speed limit's 20, so you, hopefully you obey it. I know some of you probably don't, but let's just roll with me here. You obey it, right? Because I know that by going 20 and obeying the stop signs and the stop lights that I'm not going to hurt others is kind of what the law has told me. They've kind of given me this box to, to be in. But if you see someone stuck on the side of the highway, let's say now you're on I-5 and you're going 60, and you see someone stuck on the side of the highway, there's no rule, there's no law that compels you to stop. But love can compel you to stop to help that person who's broken down or in need of a ride. Now, caveat, be careful doing that. I'm not recommending that you always do that. We did that a lot growing up, and I know times have changed, but just to, to drive the point home, there's no rule or law that compels us to do that. And so it's easy relatively easy, I would say, to restrain from hurting people, at least I hope it is, it's much harder to make a deliberate choice to go out of my way to be loving and kind to someone. And in some ways, it's even, even part of this, this positive form is, is a sacrifice on your own part. I mean, imagine you stop to help somebody. Well, then maybe you're running late for something, or maybe your afternoon gets run because you stopped to help them. Maybe it's make a phone call, or maybe it's using your jumper cables. And so in some ways, it's, it's love and that makes this deliberate choice, it's love and this sacrifice to go out of our ways to help others in the same way, if you were the one broken down, you'd want someone to stop and to help you. And the positive form of this rule, it shows us certain attitudes towards others. It's an attitude which believes that we should treat other people, not as the law allows us, because we're in the law allows us to operate in this box and so we don't hurt other people, but so the, the this positive form, it also allows us not, sorry, it's the attitude which believes that we should treat one another, not as law allows us, but as love compels us, as love demands us. And it's for love of God and love of others that we respond this way. Now, to obey this commandment, we must become transformed people with a Jesus ethic and a way of living at the center of our lives. Imagine with me for a moment if the world were made up of people who were living out the golden rule, or people, or at least, who were seeking to live out the golden rule. This simple central teaching would change our life and the world around us. Okay, imagine your coworkers, imagine your friends and your family. All of this would be transformed. Rule would change the issues in the city of Portland. And right now we have a lot of issues. This rule would change the issues with our neighbors. This rule would change the issue with our coworkers. This this rule would change our our issues with our spouse and our children. And this teaching would change the church as we become known in our world. So let's apply this to our lives. What do you expect from your family? 
Think right now for your family, whether you live at home or don't live at home. What do you expect from them? Be that kind of family member to them, even if they don't reciprocate it. Are you giving your family leftovers? Here's what I mean by that. A lot of times what will happen is we'll give our best to our friends. We'll give our best to our neighbors. We'll give our best to our, our coworkers. But then we get home and we just kind of, ugh, we become the negative person. And, and we give leftovers to our family. Don't do that. Don't do that. You know, I think about uh, this idea that we can put on a facade when we leave our house and everyone thinks you're so great, but behind closed doors, there's something else going on. And so do to your family, be the kind of family member to your family that you'd want them to be back to you. What do you expect from your friendships? Well, start by being that kind of friend to them. What do you expect from your coworkers and boss? Be that kind of coworker to them. Be that kind of employee for your boss. What about your communication? And I don't care what generation you're from, if you're Gen Z or millennial or, or Zillennial or Gen X or Boomer, I don't care. But how do you want people to communicate with you? With fairness. How do you want people to communicate with you? They want, you want them to assume the best about you. And you want to be trusted. And so if you want to be trusted, extend others' trust in their communication to you. This whole role in the positive form is revolutionary to how it is that we live our lives. Yes, it is really, really basic. At least it sounds basic as you read it. it sounds simple enough. But it would change everything. And say, did I do for them what I want them to do for me? And so think about life, like real life scenarios right now. Think this week, those people you interacted with, whether it was your barista that was serving you coffee, whether it was the, the waiter or waitress at the restaurant, whether it was your spouse or your neighbor or your coworker, whatever relationship, think about, did I respond to them? Did I treat them the way that I would want them to, to treat me? One thing I do want to address real briefly, because you might be asking this in your mind, but Matt, what if I have to do something for someone that I wouldn't want done to me? Let me explain. What if you are a boss and you actually have to fire someone? Because that's, that sometimes actually happens. Or what about your kids? What about when your kids need discipline? And I, I have three children, trust me, they need discipline. So does living out the golden rule mean that we don't discipline our children and that we don't fire someone if we're a boss ever? No, it doesn't mean that. But even in these times, even when you have to fire someone, even when you have to discipline your children, do it in such a way that if you were the one being fired, or, 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 and if you were the, the child being disciplined, do it in such a way that you'd want it to be done to you. And as Christ followers, okay, I want us to really pay attention to this one. This one's challenging, especially in light of the whole Sermon on the Mount, like not judging and those types of things. But as Christ followers, sometimes treating other people as you want to be treated will be confronting them in an area of their life where they're sinning and doing it in a loving way. And in such a way that you would want a loving friend to confront you if you had gotten caught up in some kind of sinful lifestyle. But how would I want someone to do it to me if I were the one who needed to be confronted? Go and do it in that way. What you do to them in a loving way. And you'd want it to be done in a way that's not judgmental, not tormental to their life, but you'd want them to come to you in a loving and gracious way, in a way that's offering you, uh, really kind of throwing you the rope of hope to say, I love you so much that I don't want to see you go down this path. I love you so much that I want to I want to help you get out of this. And once again, it all goes in line with the full Sermon on the Mount. You got to take the whole picture here that, that you inspect yourself first. Or just a few weeks ago, take that big log out of your eye and then you see the speck in their eye. But sometimes the most loving thing is that you still would go to that person and this sermon instructs us to do that, but do it in such a way that if you were on the other side of that, if you were the one who was caught in sin or, or doing something you shouldn't be doing, how you would want the person to come to you. 
And the golden rule, it transforms our actions. If we put ourselves empathetically in the place of other people, we would wish for them, but we would wish for ourselves. We would never be mean. We would always be generous. We would never be harsh. We would always be understanding. We would never be cruel and we'd always be kind. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the type of person, that sounds like the type of community I would want to be around. And so in many ways, I'd say, sojourn, let's strive to live out the golden rule. Not, not in of ourselves, but through the power of Jesus. Because I, can, I don't know about you, but I've been to churches where they were the opposite of all those things. But I want us to be a church that's welcoming to, to all people to take this journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus. If we're living this out, and we know it won't be perfect. That's my third point. We'll get there. But we're living this out, striving to live this out for the glory of God. I promise you that people will be attracted to that. People would, would want to attach themselves to that. And so people say, are you an attractional or a missional church? I kind of say both. They say, well, how can you be both? I say, well, I think about living out these principles that Jesus is presenting here. And the Sermon on the Mount alone, that in itself is attractional to the people in our culture, in our world. My third and final observation of how we can live this out. The golden rule was ultimately lived out by Jesus for us. So when we fail to live out the golden rule, and we will, we have a certain forgiveness and a certain mercy and a certain righteousness that he gave to all of us at a great cost to himself. Jesus didn't teach what he didn't live. But in the gospel, no, we know that we are too weak to do this by ourselves, but Jesus did this for us. 1 John 4, 7 through 11. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. But because God is love, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son to the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we are also to love one another. Church, God loved us and God sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for us. And so if God loved us that way, we are to love one another. And when we fail, we, he had reminded us that he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice and he enabled us to go and to love others. Theologian Scott McKnight, he says, the golden rule sums up the whole ethic of Jesus. Our calling as followers of Jesus from morning to night is to monitor our behaviors towards others in accordance with our own self-care. Jesus is not hereby encouraging selfishness, but instead selflessness. And so to summarize, church, we are to love God and we are to love others. And so this morning, what we're gonna do, because I have a feeling that we have forgotten that truth. I have a feeling that some of us, all of us have failed this week. And so this morning, this first Sunday in May, we're gonna respond. I'm gonna ask you a couple questions to reflect on. You can answer these in your heart and, and, and pray to God. And then we're also gonna respond this morning through the act of communion. And so the first question, in light of this passage, in light of this verse this morning, in light of the golden rule, who is someone in your life, this might be a neighbor, this might be a coworker, might be a family member, that you feel that God is calling you to go and to love this way this week? Who is someone in your life? We all should have someone that we, could, that we can think of. Second question, who is someone that as a result of this message this morning, you realize that you have not been loving them well and that you need to go and ask them for forgiveness? And say, I'm sorry that, that I haven't been living this way. And you might say, that's gonna be awkward. 
But what a great opportunity, what a great testimony to the power of Jesus in our lives that you can go to them. You can even use your church as an excuse and use your pastor as an excuse and use this verse as an excuse. Say, you know what? We were going through this verse yesterday in scripture and you can even explain them, give them a little sermon that and say, as a result, I realize I haven't been treating you properly. And I wanna ask for your forgiveness and I've asked Jesus for forgiveness. And I just wanna share that with you. Imagine that, especially if it's a non-believer, and, and just imagine the powerful testimony that could be. So whoever it is in your life that you realize, man, I haven't been treating them properly, that you would go this week and you would, you would make that right with them. And so I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna respond in communion. Okay, church, let me pray for us. God, we just think about this entire sermon as we reach the summit of it this morning. God, this idea of the, the golden rule and, and living out in the positive form, living it out in such a way that we do to others as we would want them to do to us, God, but that we're not doing it in the negative form, that we're not sitting by passively and doing nothing, but God, we are being active disciple makers, that we're being people who actively love you and love others. And God, how that would radically transform our relationships. God, how that would radically transform our places of employment. God, how that would radically transform the city of Portland, our nation, and our world. And God, so this morning, as a result of what we have heard, may your spirit empower us and enable us to go and to live this way, to go and to love you and to love others. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen, church. And so now, as we told you at the beginning, we are gonna respond through communion. If you're at home and you, and you don't have one of our uh, pre-made cups, then uh, go ahead and make sure you just grab a cracker or a piece of bread or something along those lines. Uh, grab some juice, some wine, uh, whatever it is that you have uh, there at the house. And then uh, for those of you who, who do have these, Joseph's gonna come back up. Uh, he's gonna play one final song for us and respond um, when you're ready. Don't feel like you have to rush into it. Uh, take a moment to, to talk to the Lord. Take a moment to set your heart right and be reminded that when you take this little wafer off the top or your piece of bread, and when you, when you break it, or when you, when you take it and you, and you feel it crunch, it represents Jesus' body, his body which was broken for us on the cross so that we may have a way of reconciliation to God. And when you drink the juice or the wine, be reminded it just represents Jesus' blood which was spilled out for us and spilled out for the sins of the world. And so church, I love you. The time is yours. Respond accordingly. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.